Hi there, this is Watchin, and you are now listening to the I Choose the Ladder podcast, a podcast for Black women on the corporate climb. In today's episode, you meet Leslie Anderson, Senior Vice President, Head of Treasury and Payment Solutions, Business Banking for BMO Harris Bank. In this national role, Leslie carries out business plans for treasury and payment products and drives deposit growth initiatives. Leslie has worked in banking for over 20 years. She has a bachelor's degree in finance from Hampton University and an MBA with a focus on entrepreneurship, marketing, and strategy from Northwestern University's Kellogg School of Management. She serves on the boards of the Chicagoland Entrepreneurial Center, Learn Charter School, and Leadership Greater Chicago, where she was a 2006 fellow. From the minute that I met Leslie, I was Instantly, instantly, instantly impressed. I don't know how I didn't meet her sooner, but in this conversation, we talk about everything from romance to imposter syndrome to confidence to networking. So I hope you have as much fun learning from Leslie as I did. So Leslie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. As I mentioned, when I moved, I came into your office, I've been reading a lot about you because I think you're amazing. So thank you for making the time. Um, For those of you listening, I'm speaking today with Miss Leslie Anderson, and she is the SVP, U.S. Head of Business Banking, Treasury, and Payment Solutions at BMO Harris Bank. Leslie, what does that mean? (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting you ask because you're not the only one that does, Um, but in the most simplest form. So I work with businesses. I run a sales team across eight states throughout the U.S. Oh, my gosh. Okay. And... We sell all the services that move money for businesses within their checking account. So wires out to vendors, cash in from customers, um, fraud services that keep all of their systems safe, international payments, credit card, all of that is what my team sells the capability to do. So is this something that you knew early on, like, this is the role that I want to be in? Absolutely not. So how do you get to a place where this is your day-to-day job? So it happened over time. Okay. So I, I, when I went to, oddly enough, and I had this conversation with another student who asked me, did you always want to be in banking? I didn't. Okay. When I went to Hampton University, I wanted to be a lawyer. Okay. And my godfather, who was one of my first mentors, who was an attorney, said, do not major in pre-law. Because if you don't get a job or go straight to law school, what are you going to do with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, there's, there, I know why he said it, but sometimes I wish I had anyway. Because college doesn't really teach you anything other than it shows your employer that you can be taught at a much higher level than high school, Mm. and that you can be focused and that there's a level of determination because you started and finished. Because everything I needed to know, for the most part, I learned on the job. Mm. So when I graduated, I did some internships with Motorola, and I knew that I didn't want to be in accounting, but um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to to do. And my father was a professor at UIC, and he said, hey, I was talking to some friends, and this bank called MBD Bank is looking for some really talented people. And he said, oh, my daughter is the best you're ever going to find. <laughs> so, right, your fathers are always your first cheerleaders, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so I interviewed with them. And the one message that slayed me, that made me really want to say yes, was if you don't really know what you want to do, 
go into banking because you are exposed to every single industry in the world. Mm -hmm. And you have the ability to be on top of that um, food chain from a financing perspective, mm -hmm. go deep into it from a specialization, or actually join one of the companies that we work with. Mm -hmm. Like there is no limit to the possibilities that you could become. You could be in marketing, you could be in sales, you could be in risk, you could be in accounting. I mean, there's really not one profession that we don't touch. And people don't think about it like that, right? They we don't. think about the numbers only when you say banking or finance, right? People who are considering that in college, they're like, well, I'm not good at numbers, so no, right. banking is not an option for me. That's not true. Mm -hmm. That we have some of, the, I mean, we're in the people business. So some of our best and most critical employees are HR. Because they create the policies that allow us to onboard and create great experiences for employees, which actually create great experiences for our customers that allow us to grow. So people don't always, they because the, the natural entree is into one of our risk training programs. We never, we rarely talk about training programs for other areas of the bank. And people then think that the retail side is like not the best place to be. It has actually... Um, some of our best leadership opportunities are on the retail side as well, and they don't think about that either. Huh. So you were thinking about law. You got this opportunity because your dad thought you were a rock star. Right. What made you stay? Like, what kept you in banking? I think, so a number of things kept me in banking. One, it, it's great money. Uh, I will not lie. Mm -hmm. But it, there weren't a lot of us. Like, I was the only black woman in my training class. Mm -hmm. uh, there weren't any other black, black women at the bank that I started. And there was this expectation that I wouldn't last that long. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, um, and I tell my fiance now about his daughters, my father made was very intentional about putting us in sports, so my sister and I. Um, and it gave me a sense of competition at a level that allowed me to pull from those experiences mm. and persevere. And I just, I, I wasn't, I was never ready to leave um, despite people not wanting me to be there. Mm. And so I stayed and I, and I found opportunities to really be great. And some of them came in the most um, unexpected package. My first Start after starting work, my first mentor was a white Irish guy on the mm. south side of Chicago who said, you have this um, unique uh, vision that you're going to always win. Mm. And one of the things I want to remind you is use whatever it is that's unique about you. Mm. Don't always follow all these other bankers. Don't go to the north side to find business. You're probably one of the few people that feels very comfortable on the south side. And like it or not, those are some of the best businesses in Chicago. Mm. So leverage all of the things that make Leslie unique and powerful mm -hmm. as you try to build this business. Mm. And you just talked about your first mentor. I think a lot of times people don't know how to get mentors, don't know when they have one, what to do with their mentor. So the, did you know about mentorship and how important it was? Or is it something that you've learned and has it changed over time? It wasn't something that I sought after. Like, I didn't know, you know, new to the workforce. Like, I just, the stuff that we, the, the access to what makes great leaders and what makes great employees that people have today via the internet, I didn't have back then. Mm -hmm. Like, you just, you know, my father was in education and so was my mother, and they're both immigrants. So, like, they, this wasn't 
a natural move or suggested move for them to me. Mm-hmm. Um, although my father did start his career in, um, he was the first black analyst on Wall Street. So he actually also understood the environment mm-hmm. and the feeling of being the only one. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just, I one of the things I thought about was, okay, and I, I'm very strategically kind of created and I thought if I want to be great in an industry that doesn't have a lot of black women um, or black people for that matter who do I need who is it that they have a lot of white men so if I need to learn the stuff that they don't want to teach me I got to find a white man that wants to to bring me up and use me as a model for excellence Mm. and that's what I did oh I got chills because I think a lot of times you want the complaint is like, I want a mentor who looks like me. I want somebody who I aspire to be like because I know that if that person was able to do it, I can then potentially do the same. But maybe that's not always the best strategy when deciding around mentorship. I and, and my the first black woman that I ran into in banking, her first comment was, I'm not going to be the crutch for every black person. Mm. So I was crushed. Like, I... I also don't, you know, and my parents are from the Caribbean, so the upbringing that you have in the Caribbean is less about race and more about class. Mm. So I was never the type of person, while I knew that there weren't a lot of black women or a lot of black people in the banking industry, I I felt comfortable amongst more races than maybe some of my peers might have felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't think that... When I say I want to be the best, um, it doesn't always equate to an African-American woman. I would love it to be. And there are definitely some role models out there that I use as kind of my beacons on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. But uh, as my pastor always said, everybody, your color ain't your kind. Preach! <laughs> <laughs> so you limit yourself when that's just your tunnel vision. Mm-hmm. And I, I wanted, this guy was awesome. I saw him with customers. I saw him with prospects. He was personal. And, and, and not, you know, I, I can't really say, is he racist or not? Like, I, I think everybody is a, is a product of their own environment. And he grew up as a Southside Irish. I'm sure there were folks that didn't really like black people there. But um, he was also someone that could look beyond that. Mm-hmm and say, this person is going to be successful, and I want to be a part of that story. Hmm. So how have the first mentor saw you, saw potential, was like, come here, let me help with this. Mm -hmm. As you've become more senior, what do your mentors look like? And how have you, do you have them? And if you do, like, how do you acquire them? And what do those relationships look like? So I do. Um, and they are all walks of life. So attorneys, um, HR executives, they're, they're, they tend to be two and three levels above me. Okay. Um, and it's really, it, it starts off as um, like any human relationship, right? You, mm-hmm. you find a connection. The former <laughs> CEO and the one before him were definitely, and not only mentors, but sponsors. So... Um, they, they literally stood in the gap for me mm. and said, nope, she needs to get this job, and nope, she's going to get this. And when things didn't move in the way that they should, they kind of went around the system to make sure that I was okay. Mm. Um, and I stay in touch with both of them today. One's a woman and one's a guy. Both are white. 
Um, but they also had, um, I think, Mark Furlong, who was our former CEO, wanted to make a legacy of um, black excellence at BMO. And he wanted to, so there's a number of us that benefited from his sponsorship. Um, Ellen was more, I need women leaders that are not afraid to walk in the room. Um, there's a lot of women, even now, who are excellent that sheepishly walk in the room. Mm. And you don't win that way. Even if you, even if your skill sets are far and beyond anybody else in the room, mm -hmm. how you walk in oftentimes determines some portion of your success. Mm. So I, I, I reach out to folks, um, I, similar to what you're doing, like I talk to a ton of people, I'm in sales, so I talk to folks all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, mentors aren't always those that are successful. I know people that have been fired from their jobs and they have taught me just as much about business and, uh, and around life mm -hmm. than anyone that has risen to the top. Um, and you talked a little bit about kind of the culture you're from, you know, the islands and, mm -hmm. and culturally how you were raised in terms of class versus race. Um, I think what comes up the most when I'm talking to women in my age group and younger is being your authentic self in the workplace. Like yes. that is a huge topic of, I think while a lot of people have gripes with corporate and mm -hmm. think that the entrepreneurship route, I can just be myself 100% of the time and do the things that I love, which is, in my opinion, very romanticized. Mm -hmm. um, but for you, how have you found your culture and corporate working together? So um, one of the questions you would ask me when we were preparing for this was, you know, what do I think about things like braids? Mm -hmm. And I've had braids in my career sprinkled throughout. Dee Anderson convinced me that it was okay to get braids. She, she did. She was like, girl, get the braids. Just get, stop asking, just get the braids. I have gotten braids. Um, I had them when I was early on in my career. And then, um, I, and I've had, I've had natural hair. I've had it really short. I've had it really long. I've had a weave. I've had it all. Huh. Um, Were you nervous during those transitions? Because I think... Always it's like, oh, I, like, I just, I don't want to deal with comments or whatever. So you, you have to be, you have to know your environment. And there are going to be some that probably are harder to navigate than others. Mm -hmm. Banking is not an easy one. But I remember one of my mentors um, earlier on in my career saying, you know, you got a bunch of white women with stringy hair that looks horrible. Are you serious? You don't want to wear braids? And I thought, that's true. Um, and, and I have in my head, so when my father always told me, um, you wear my name until you don't. Mm. So when you walk out the door, I expect you to represent Anderson in the best way possible. Preach, Dad. So, that's amazing. Yeah. Though. So that's that's what I live by. And I and and then I temper it by saying, like, I don't want what's on me to overshadow what's in me. Mm. So am I gonna wear red hair, long braids, and blue highlights? No. Because it's distracting. Mm -hmm. But would I wear braids? Absolutely. Would I cut all my hair off and wear it natural? Absolutely. I wear fishnets to, to work in the winter because I don't believe in stockings. They run the first time and whoever made them is a genius because you have to buy Keep them. buying them. Absolutely. And I said, I am not going to spend that kind of money. And people are like, and I wear high heel boots with them. 
And I and I just said, this is who I, I wear glitter every single day of the year. I just that noticed your right. nails. I'm like, she that is my thing. You can't see her, but she has silver <laughs> glitter nail polish. As one of the most senior people, and I walked in, I was like, and she's like dressed cute too. Like you're not. I'm not conservative. By the trans, by the traditional sense of what people expect when they hear someone who works in banking, when you show up, there there has to be a like, wait for real, is this? Who is this? Right. Well, most people don't think. I get. I always get the. Are you the senior vice president? I am. And when I talk, they get it. Like, I bring it. So you can't, you have to, I mean, the things that our parents have always told us, you have to be 110% better than everybody else. Mm. And that, you know, helps you. Like, once you, and, I, and I've taken more liberties at the, this part of my career than I probably did at the beginning, although I took some at the beginning, mm -hmm. because I've, I've shown everybody what they get with me. Mm. And they get excellence and they get performance and they get winning and they get success and they get engagement. So if she gets it being who she is, then I guess being who she is is what we want. Mm. Um, you can't step out too early because you want folks to know that they're getting the package that, they're, that they expected. Mm -hmm. And if it doesn't look the way that they expected, that's fine. But, you know, it's, it's always a balance of, um, you know, not, not being overwhelming, mm -hmm. but things like our hair, um, that, that we that worry about it instantly defines our culture in some ways. Like, I think that is a non-negotiable. Like mm -hmm. you, if you, if you are neat, I'm good with it. Mm -hmm. I, I, I just don't, I, I decided and I tell folks all the time, I'm not that person that's going to compromise my core to make you feel better about who I am. People say I don't see black or white. I see yellow and brown. Well, people ain't, people ain't yellow, they're not green. If you don't see me for who I am, then you actually are more racist than you actually want to decide to be. Is this something that you've always felt or is it, has you, have you become more senior? It, it is, it has been innate in me. Okay. So again, when I, I don't ever leave the house looking crazy. Mm -hmm. Know that. Even going to the grocery store? I don't. Look, my father and I, it, so I was, when I was, I think, 16 or 17, and my mother had asked me to run to the store, and I had just washed my hair, and I blow-dried it straight, and I was running out. My father was like, uh-uh, throw your hair. Your last name is my name. You don't go out looking crazy. So I've never, that's not what I do. Mm. So I always look presentable. And if I am proud of what I look like when I walk out the door, damn it if you ain't. I hear that. And I think I wish a lot of us got to that place sooner, right? Yeah. Because I think the most of them that I know don't have parents who work in corporate or who instill that sense of this is, like, you belong here. Yeah. Um, and so there's an innate insecurity, that I think, that mm -hmm. for the first five, ten years of your career, you're fighting against to prove not only to the people externally, but to yourself, that you belong in those spaces? I think it's more to ourself. Mm. So, and and um, I'm trying to remember the phrase that they used to describe it. Um, Imposter syndrome? Yeah, it, yeah. So, it, it, and I struggle with it. Like, I still, you, you, even when you get promoted, you're like, at what point do I stop? defending the fact that I deserve to be here? When do I stop saying, well, I have an MBA from Kellogg. I earned this spot. Mm -hmm. And just walk in your own executive presence. Mm -hmm. And there, I think that that is just something that has plagued women um, 
forever. Mm-hmm. What instead of it just being an Achilles heel, it it fuels me mm-hmm. to be better, to show up better, to bring other folks to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I just I just use it differently. Mm-hmm. But I, I don't believe like there folks are gonna have their opinion about us. Like um, um, the CEO of WVON. Um, and she's a good friend of mine. I'm drawing a blank on her name. Anyway, she made a statement in one of our meetings, and she said, when I walk in the room, you know who I am. I'm a black woman. Like, I can't hide that. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just, I think that, especially today, um, especially today, so take Trump off the, off, the, off the conversation for a second. I think folks are used to women walking in the room. Mm-hmm. We have to be better at being apologetic um, about being in the room. Mm-hmm. And it, it is, you know, I, I taught, I was on a diversity council meeting and we were talking about diversity inclusion and I gave them an example of, I was in, and this was 10, 15 years ago, I was sitting around a table with executives and there were men and women um, of different rank and of different color. And all of the black men and the Hispanic men had their jackets on and all the white men had their jackets off. And I asked the CEO to look around the table. What did he see? He was like, I don't, I don't know what you mean. And I said, tell me who you think feels invited to the table and how many people do you think feel that this is their table? And it was very stark. Mm. And we tend to own the invitation versus own the table. Mm. And how do you get past that? How do you, how have you personally gotten past the, I was just invited, I'm just happy to be here. Like, how do you get past that? It's a mindset. It's a training. It, it is what, you know, it's the, it's the same, it's the same spirit mm-hmm. that our ancestors needed to pull on mm-hmm. when they went from slavery to free. Like, you just have to do it. And as my, one of my mentors said, it ain't difficult. It's just hard. Mm-hmm. You just have to keep reminding yourself, they are lucky to have me here at this table. Mm-hmm. And you talked a little bit about um, kind of the skills and, and the confidence that you need to build. How have you in your career known when it was time for you to step up to the next level? or that it was your time to, whether it was leaving a job, leaving the title, staying the same job, more responsibilities, how have you, how do you know? And are there skills that you knew that you had to develop in order to be who you are today as you moved? Um, so this is, it's actually a conversation that DeAndre and I have had a lot um, because especially black women, we always say, I'm not ready for that next job. It is a constant conversation that we have because we feel that we have to have proven that we can do the job before we get it. And the reality is nobody is ever ready for that next job. That's why it's a step up. That's why it's a stretch. Um, The question is, do you have the capabilities? Have you demonstrated the muscle that would make you successful? And oftentimes, it's less about the technical aspects of the job. And I take stuff like being a doctor or being a lawyer off the table. Okay. 
Um, it's more about do you have the determination? Do you have the resourcefulness? Do you have the grit? Do you have the thick skin? Because those are the things. Those are the things that, as you start in corporate America and as you mature in corporate America, that you have to really be intentional about developing in order to take it to the next level. Mm. And the higher you go, that thick skin needs to get a lot thicker. And the higher you go, that resourcefulness needs to get a lot broader. And you just have to lean on those core traits more and more. And what would you say to, because I think in our group, we have a group for uh, it's black women in corporate America who desire to climb the corporate ladder. Mm -hmm. That's why the podcast is called I Choose the Ladder. Um, who are feeling like, you know, I've been here for a while. Nobody sees me. Mm -hmm. Nobody sees my work. Like, what would you say to those women? Find a way to be seen. So, two things. Every organization isn't your ending point. Mm -hmm. So, you need to also, just as, so we interview for jobs, and oftentimes we take the position of the interviewee. When we should be interviewing mm -hmm. this organization for fit, mm -hmm. for are they ready for me? Do they want to do the things that I am trying to accomplish, you know, in the spirit of being excellent, in the spirit of being inclusive, in the spirit of being engaging and drawing a community into the best of who they can be? If they mm -hmm. are not, you know, you need to make those decisions. And, and not to say that, I mean, jobs are great jobs are great jobs. But you need to decide, is this the organization that's going to help me get to the next level? Mm -hmm. And if they really want to stay there, then they need to find ways to be seen, to take on some of the tasks that others probably wouldn't, as a stretch, not as a sole um, job. Mm -hmm. Things that I, and I tell my team this all the time, most of your leadership opportunities before your leaders come outside of your job. So I sit on three boards. Whenever I have a big event, I invite the executives of the bank. So, and, mm -hmm. and the CEO today, I took him to, it was a, a fundraising gala in 2011. Okay. And our fundraising goal was a million dollars. And all of his friends were in the room. And they all knew me. And he's like, oh my God, I didn't realize that your network was so broad. Like he didn't know. He mm. knew I was good at work. But he, and he said to me, this puts you in a whole different light in my eyes. So it you know you've got to find different and unique ways to engage the folks that have the power to 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 bolster you up. Hmm. I'm like speechless. Okay, um, that. So your network, you obviously have a pretty robust network. Mm -hmm. How right? So I think when we think most people think networking, it's going to these events and handing on business cards, which is not networking, right? Not. So how have you, tangible ways that you've built your network over time? Um, most of my network has been built um, in doing community work with like-minded people. So Delta is a great example mm -hmm. where we're in the community doing great things and you meet like aldermen and senators mm -hmm. and um, that's, a, that's an important network for us as a community, as an as a individual. Mm -hmm. um, I do a lot with the Urban League and you meet a ton of executives in that venue. I do a lot for 1871, I sit on their board. Right. I meet probably most of the private equity and family offices through that and I sit on the board and we, do st and we talk about the issues together. So I am very intentional about the boards that I sit on. Mm 
that they're Before diverse. Before you're at the board level, what were you doing? Because you uh, have to have a certain level of experience and seniority in order to be invited to join someone's board, right? So in terms of volunteer work you, prior. You do, but you... So I have been doing volunteer work. My parents well, you're have... you're a Delta, obviously. I know. <laughs> so that goes right, without right, saying. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't... I, there were, I was doing... I was doing voter registration when I was a kid mm. for the Urban League in Atlanta with my parents. Mm. So I was always, um, when, when I asked to be on a board and they asked me what was my experience, I actually had experience to pull on. Mm. So I, I'm not atypical. I wasn't new to that space. Mm. Um, I also, when I was very young, I realized, so I have a brother and sister. They're both older than me. Okay. Um, but hanging out with my parents was the best thing in the world. Like I was like, they have money, they can make, they can give me permission to do stuff. Y'all don't have anything. I'm hanging out with them, and they just happen to be. I mean, super. I mean, we used to have dinners with their friends, and it would be lawyers and doctors and 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 you know Marcus Garvey. Like we had, there were folks that were in the room that I didn't know at the time were important, but that's, you know, I got very comfortable with with being with adults and seeing how they debate the issues and what issues were important. Um, so I started building a network probably before I was in college. Mm-hmm. And folks were like, this kid is actually going to do something. So I, it, I didn't, I wasn't intentional that this is how I'm going to build my network. Um, but I was intentional about, I need to be around people mm-hmm. that can get me what I want and can support the things that I do. Mm-hmm. And they oftentimes were older than me. Um, mm-hmm. And it was oftentimes in a, in a setting, and I think this is important, where there's less of a hierarchy. Mm-hmm. So when you are, everybody is rolling up their sleeves and and teaching kids how to read. There's no EVP and, and underling. We're all fighting for the same thing. And they get to see things that, um, that you can't teach, like passion. And they're like, okay, she's going to be somebody. And I do the same thing with folks that come into my space when we're doing you know, any type of event for the community. I look for those folks that stand out. So... I think the common thread that I've been hearing and talking to everyone is like, do work. Yeah. Be doing something, yes. right? Something that you are passionate about. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have passions, find out first what you are passionate exactly. about and do it that way. And that's the way you can build a network that lasts, right? Because it's Absolutely. about relationships over time. Sustain mm-hmm. relationships over time. Not just one-offs where you check a box. Right. I have your card, so when I need something, I can call you. Like, no. That's not how this works at it's all. It's not at all. And that's how, But that's how I think a lot of people have been taught. It's like... Oh, yeah, I know this person, but do they know you? Right. Do they know your work? Do they know your character? And are they willing to stand in the gap sometimes for you? Man, this is some good stuff. Okay, so we talked a little bit prior in our prep about, you know, some of the decisions, life decisions, right, like outside Mm -hmm. of work that you've made um, that have shaped who you are as a person. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is the biggest, I don't think sacrifice is the right word, but the biggest... I'm going to say sacrifice. Okay. So the biggest sacrifice that you've made to sit in the seat that you sit now career-wise? So I, I focused everything on work. Mm-hmm. Like I was determined to be the best. I, and I was determined to be the best, and I was determined to be financially independent. Mm-hmm. Um, Why? Well, so when I was 15, 
and every my parents have taught me great lessons and sometimes they don't even remember so I wanted this um, it was at TJ Maxx I wanted this sweater it was $70 and I was 15 years old my mother's like yeah no dude wait what what who has a $70 TJ Maxx it was it was a sweater in TJ Maxx it was in the designer section it was great it was a purple v-neck this is how much I remember this sweater. gray and yellow mustard yellow um, and it was an oversized sweater for seventy dollars. For seventy dollars, and my mother was like, "Dude, no. no," and I was like, "No." Immigrants are not spending seventy dollars on anything at TJ Maxx. I went to Dairy Queen, and I lied on my application, and I said I was sixteen, but I wasn't sixteen yet. And I worked every open hour that they were willing to give me, and my first paycheck, I bought that sweater. Did you? I bought that sweater. And if it had not gotten stolen in college, that's how long it lasted, I would still have it today, because it meant so much to me. So, I mean, it just, <laughs> I just, so that was the first time I ever thought, I don't want anybody asking me. Mm. You know, I, and I don't want to have to ask for money. I don't want to ask for things that I want to do. Mm -hmm. So I obviously need to make it. And I also didn't want, once I came out of college, I didn't want to be dependent on my parents. Because mm. I also didn't want them saying, like, I moved home. My mother said I could stay home for six months. And, no, for a year. I stayed for six months because my father, I was going to see my boyfriend. My father was like, uh-uh. Not my house. And I was like, fine. Uh, I'm going to get go. my own box. <laughs> like, <time>. right. <laughs> Necessity is the mother of invention. Like, I figured it out. I moved out. I have not looked back. Um, and so I just, I knew that I wanted, um, th that I needed to do the things that made me successful financially. Mm -hmm. And so I, f I was laser focused on being the best at every single level. Mm. Um, there are times that I feel like my life passed me by. Mm. Um, most of my girlfriends have kids that are in their teens and going to college. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, wow, you know, I, I, I know I didn't go to college thinking I was going to get a husband. My roommate was like, I, my mother told me I'm getting a husband while I'm in college. MRS degree, that is why, why you go. That is the. And then if you miss that window, right. apparently it's like seven years. Yeah. But for some of us, it's like longer than that. Longer than seven. Right. <laughs> I didn't realize that I wanted to be in a permanent relationship until I was almost 40. Really? I dated guys, and when they got in my way, I was done with you. So my mm -hmm. longest relationship before now was about six months. Because I didn't have time for BS. Leslie. I didn't have time for nonsense. You either part of the solution, part of the problem. Huh. And I'm fine with you being part of the problem, just not mine. Mm. And I will keep it moving. Um, when I was younger, my father said, you take money from me and your brother and your uncles. Nobody else. Mm. And so I, I didn't want to ever be the girl that moved in with her boyfriend. Like, even now... Um, as we're contemplating getting married and we're like, oh, I need to sell my condo. And I'm like, hey, dude, I need to get married. I'm not living with you as a boyfriend or a fiance or whatever. Um, what so changed though? What made, cause now you're engaged. I am. Going to be someone's wife for the rest of your life. I know. What changed? Um, divine intervention. Like I, I, I had dated a guy that was a train wreck and 
we broke up probably in five months. We got back together and broke mm-hmm. up, and it was just bad. And I was just like, so maybe I don't, you know. And, and at that point, I was like, I really, and, and I think the first time that I really felt alone was when my grandmother died. Mm-hmm. And my brother had his wife, and my sister had her husband, and my parents were together, and I literally was sobbing in the bathroom by myself. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God, nobody understands how I feel or cares. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I started, like, I've, I'm now, I've bought one, two, three, four houses mm-hmm. um, by myself, and I'm now starting, like, I wish I had, there was somebody I could bounce something off of. That, Like, my parents care, but not in the same it's way. Different. It's different. Mm-hmm. So, um, oddly enough, I was on this, you know, I had actually decided I was going to date a white dude. And, um, and I was going to commit to, like, I'm probably not going to get married. And you're going to mm-hmm. be okay with that. Mm-hmm. And my line sister text me I was in St. Louis for a business meeting uh, with one of my guys that um, is an attorney we were doing a presentation together and she said I want to set you up on a blind date just trust me and I was like Jesus I cannot believe you and she said well go on Facebook this is his Facebook page oh good old Facebook <laughs> I know right we didn't have that back in the day you had, it was really blind and so I was like okay he's not hard on the eyes um And she set it up. Um, She had just moved next door to him. Oh. And his in Flossmore. Okay. And his ex-wife is a soror. Okay. And she had befriended his ex-wife. And she asked the ex-wife, you know, I have a girlfriend. She's a soror. I really think, like, Lewis and Leslie would do really well. Do you mind if I introduce? She's like, absolutely. I don't, like, I wish him nothing but the best. Mm. And that's how we met. And we went on a date, and uh, I was feverishly, because cha- I change phones every time there's a new iPhone, and I've lost all those first texts. But let me just tell you, the day after our first date, he was like, oh my God, I'm breaking man code. I like you so much. Oh, oh my. So all the, it's like, and I keep saying, can I have your phone? Because I know he still has them, but he won't let me see it. <laughs> He's like, it's gone. Right, right. So, but that's how, that's how we met. Um, Do you worry about, maybe worry's not the right word, but it's the best that I can come up with right now, the impact that this phase of your life will have on your career? I don't. Why not? So, and it's interesting that you ask. So I I am, I'm at the time, so executives around here um, typically stay in a job for three years, and I've been in this job for three years. And um, I'm ready for something different, a bigger challenge, whatever. Mm-hmm. And my mother's like, can't you just, like, you are selling your house, you're getting married, you're taking on three daughters. Dude, what, do you really need a new job? And, part, like, I don't want, I don't want my legacy to be, she used to be really good. And then she got married. And then she got right. a man. Let's look the brand new, because she got a man now. Right, so I just, and, and that is the, compa- like, I, I want to die trying. And that's just who I am. Mm-hmm. And it's not because of it's not because of what people say. It's just that I don't want that to be my legacy that I used to be. Um, so and, and he one of the things that I love about him is and, and he and his ex-wife, his ex-wife and I are very different, but like I was studying for um, 
the CTP, which is Certified Treasures Professional, uh, which is a designation. You're for still getting certifications at this level, Leslie. I know. Well, I so I, I it it actually helps me as I talk to treasurers okay. of big companies because they're like, okay, so you know what I'm dealing with. You speak my language, right? So he said, I cannot. He said the same. I can't believe you're still studying for stuff. <laughs> like you got your MBA, you got your and, right. What? So, but it's it's just he supports me doing anything. Mm-hmm. He's like, so, you know, I know that BMO has a headquarters in Toronto. If you need to do a cross-border, like, we will figure it out. It's not going to stand in the way of who we are. He is. He's a brother. He's a de- So God has such a sense of humor. He's a dentist, and I am a teeth fanatic. So I, I've had braces three times. And um, it's so odd that I would meet a dentist with perfect teeth, right? Um so, yeah, he, he, now he, to his credit, like, he makes more than me. He's got his own practice. He's had his own practice forever. Um, but even if he didn't, I don't think that he would be in temp, like, there's, he never shows, um, he doesn't want to piss me off, but he's never intimidated by me. Like, he doesn't back down when he's like, yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it until I'm ready to do it. You got it? Boom. And I'm just like, dude, really? Do you know who I am? He's like, I absolutely know who you are. <laughs> I'm still not doing right. it. Right. <laughs> right. You came from my rib. No. So, I mean, but, and we, people, people think that uh, we have the odd, we, we just, we, we really do mesh. Mm. And he's like, God, I wish I had met you 20 years ago. And I'm like, no, because you were very different and so was I. We wouldn't have been ready for this. So, it is just, and, and his ex-wife lives in California. I was telling, so DeAndrea um, and I were laughing at the old school picnic because mm. I was at the old school picnic and Louis was getting on my nerves. So I, that's the only reason why I went because my girlfriend was like, you are going with me. You need a break. You need a break. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I get to the old school picnic and this woman comes up to me and I'm really bad with names. So I just figured that she knew me from somewhere, and she was like, hey, you know, I'm, black people are like my family. So uh-huh. I went to hug her, and she hugged me, and she said, hi, I'm Tara. I'm Lewis's ex-wife. Oh. And she didn't let go, and she's like, I just want you to know I am so glad that you are in my daughter's life. So all this time, like, I haven't met her for three years. I've not met her, and, I, and I've heard stories about her, um, but I, I, you know, I was just like, what woman doesn't want to meet the woman that's in her kid's life? And for God to say, like, I need to catch Leslie at the point at which she ain't expecting me to show up. And he does it every single time. Like, I, divine intervention is literally the thread that is woven through every aspect of my life. And I thank God daily. One of the things that um, we just went through premarital counseling and the first premarital counseling session we had um my pet so my best friend's father is jeremiah right jr i go to trinity so he retired he retired he came out of retirement to marry us and he said guys that is a big (laughs) deal like when there is something about that man's spirit it is he when he walks in a room Mm -hmm. he doesn't even have to utter a word Mm -hmm. so i saw him when he came back to preach for the first time at St. Sabina yep. for that Good Friday. After the show. And I got it. Because yep. I had never met him. I, I go to Trinity, but I've been going to Trinity under Moss. Mm-hmm. And it, I just got it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting, like, he, I don't know, like, God is, is in that man. I, like, 
He is a man after God's own heart. He, yeah. he just, that is a huge deal. It is. It is. Oh. So, one of the things he said is, do you all pray together? And we're like, well, you know, like, dinner. Like, <laughs> and he said, I want you to read this book, Why Couples Pray, and I want you to start praying every day. And um, I, we were laughing about this at the last session because the first couple of nights, Lewis would download all these ornate prayers. <laughs> and they were, just, I was just like, dude, this is not you. <laughs> and my best, Janet would say, Leslie, he's making it up. Like, that's a he's big trying. deal. Isn't making it? He's like, I'm not good at this, but I want to pray with my woman. So fast forward, um, you know, seven or eight months and he doesn't download prayers mm -hmm. and uh, we were talking to pastor Wright, and pastor Wright was like well why do you download prayers he's like man i don't pray like you and pastor Wright literally got choked up and he told the story of when he had to preach in front of one of his mentors and he was talking to his father and said man i can't preach like him and his father said God didn't call you to preach like him. God mm. called you to preach his word in the way that you feel it, in the way that you see it, in the way that you've experienced it. Mm. And so he shared that with Lewis. And Lewis, after our, the eight weeks or whatever, he closes out in prayer. Lewis doesn't worry about prayer anymore. Like, he mm. is one of the most, mm. because he prays from his heart. Mm -hmm. and But he had never done that before. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's just... Every part of where I am today and my life, personal, professional, um, God has showed up in such... You think that I... You know, I tell folks that I'm a card-carrying heathen because I haven't... Like, I've joined First Baptist at University Park, but I don't really go because it's really far. Um, and I don't go to Trinity anymore. This is far. Trinity's so far. So I just... I, you know, and I and I do... Like, I tithe still. Mm -hmm. Um and I, Pastor Wright used to always say, it's not about the church, it's your relationship. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, Lewis always said, you have such a weird relationship with God, because you'd be like, dude, really? And I do talk to God, like, that's my boy. Oh, I thought I was the only no. one. Because I talk to God probably most out of any person mm -hmm. in the world, but it's very much like, dude, dude, what, really, what are really? you doing? Right. Like, we talk about the whole husband thing, like, Jesus how messed up is my husband that you need to work on him for this long right. before I meet him? Right. Like, right. And he's like, no, it's you, it's not him. I'm like, Lord, right. don't come right. to me. Right? I'm like, tired of hearing that. I don't, it's I don't. not you, it's me. Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. But yeah, yeah, I feel I like talk, that's... That's how, but that's what he... So if he, is, if he is your best friend, if he is someone mm -hmm. you love, you should be able to talk to him. Um, and some of that, like I remember when my father got prostate cancer mm -hmm. and we were leaving the doctor's office and I said dad how do you feel he was like I'm pissed off at God like I don't hit my wife I don't abuse my children mm -hmm. I pay my bills and dude this is what you do to me mm -hmm. and I said I get like that that is real mm -hmm. but but it only happens when you have a relationship a real relationship yeah yeah, yeah. and so let's do a couple of lightning round questions okay. um to see oh okay <laughs> this is always one of my favorite questions what is the one piece of career advice that you took, looking back, you probably should not have taken it? I struggle with that question. Because <laughs> um, there's always, there's nothing, there's no advice spoken or implied mm -hmm. 
that there's not a gem in it. Mm. And so even when folks said, you're too impatient, that's not what they're saying. They're saying they're not ready for you. So the advice Mm. to me is get them ready. So it's just like, I, I don't really, no one has ever said, um, and I, I probably would have taken it the same way. No one's ever said you're too black or anything like that. Angry black women, you're right. too aggressive. You're no, too, huh. no. What? So when they when they say that, um, Leslie, you're intimidating. So I take it in the way it's because it, it's real, right? And it's not. It, we make it negative into this angry black woman at any for for any venue of communication. Your objective mm-hmm. is to be heard. If how you are delivering gets in the way of you being heard, what do smart people do? You adjust. You adjust. So it's not about me changing who I am so that folks don't feel intimidated. It's about delivering to them in a way that they can receive it. Because I need them to receive it. Like you either in the way mm-hmm. or you part of the solution. Mm-hmm. And if you in my way, I need to either move you out or make you part of my team. Mm-hmm. My dad's always like, what do you want? Right. And what is the best way for you to get there? Right. That's what you focus right. on. So I don't, I, I've never gotten, I've never internalized bad advice. Mm. I just, I haven't. Um, I, I can't, I struggle. I was like, wow, did someone tell me? Um, one of my mentor's wife said, why do you wear so much glitter? And I said, it's because it's who I am. Like, I, what do you? Well, say? Why does it matter? Right, but but you know, she was implying that I, sh- as an executive, I shouldn't wear glitter. Why not? I like glitter. So like, it's just I I don't I can't really think of bad advice that I've taken. I did. So my very first time working at Yahoo, mm-hmm. my brother-in-law, I'm calling out. He was like, because I wear my hair natural. Mm-hmm. He was like, you can't go up in there with natural hair. Like you got to straighten it. So I spent all that time straightening it. The first person on the elevator that I saw was an executive with natural hair. Her afro. And I'm like, I lost my mind. I'm out here spending hours blowing this hair out when I could have just did a French roll like normal and moved on about my business. But um, what is the career lesson that took you the longest to learn, but has had the biggest impact on your career? The importance of responding versus reacting. Ooh. Elaborate. What's the difference? So... When you react, they have the power. Mm. When you respond, you have the power. Mm. You can't make me step outside of who I am Mm. and react to the BS that you put in front of me. Mm. Uh, I take whatever you, you know, I'll, I'll listen to whatever you have to say and I'll respond when I'm ready. And not a second before. Not a second before. Because I think you get that email. You're like, what? I tell my phone, yeah, (laughs) that's the worst. Because email, you can't even tell. All of that goes out the window. Mm. I mean, there are times when, so Mary Ellen's my sister now. My big sister, Mm -hmm. who retired as an executive at BMO, came back as my executive assistant. Because I said, I need somebody I can trust in my space Mm -hmm. to help me grow. And so when I would get really pissed off, I would type it out and I'd send it to her. And she would say, no, I need you to step away. Or, take a walk. Yeah, that's it. Mm. So you need that person. Mm. You always need that person that's going to tell you, you crazy, 
or yeah, no, you need to stand on this one. Okay. What's the one book that has either had the biggest impact on your career or that you've gifted the most to other people? Um, this book right here. It's from a Kellogg professor, From Values to Action, okay. um, The Principles of Value-Based Leadership. And the reason why it was so impactful is because it moves away from work life, mm -hmm. meaning you are one person and how you lead should be representative of the values across the spectrum. So he used an example of um, his son saying, hey dad, you know, it, the, the dad saying, you are the most important thing in my life. And the son was like, hey dad, I want you to come to my game. Yeah, I can, I got this meeting. Hey dad, I want you to have dinner with us. Yeah, I can, because I have to have executive. And the son came back and said, I thought I was the most important thing in your life. Ouch. And he said, you know what? I need to act that way. But, but it's, it's that that was like, okay, so what's important is what's important. And so Period. some of the things that I said, you know, was important to me, especially as a single person, as an executive, everybody has families. Mm -hmm. So they're all like, well, Leslie can do that because she's mm -hmm. in my family. And I got very unapologetic about, I go to the gym at 5.30 in the morning and I'm not coming in until 8.30. And that's my protected time. Mm -hmm. And it's important to me. And if I don't make it important because you have something that is more important to you, then it's not important to me. Mm -hmm. And so I started to instill that mindset throughout my leadership. Boundaries. Mm -hmm. Boundaries. And then yeah. the last question, what do you hope people are saying about you when you are not in the room? That she is a respected and valuable leader. That she opens doors for others that she cares, and that she represents excellence. I don't think, can't think of a better way to end on that, but thank you so much. That was amazing. As you can tell from the interview, it was an absolute pleasure to get to spend some time with Leslie and learn from her. I really appreciate how open she was about her experiences, the growth that she's had, and how generous she was with the, the information that she shared. My favorite quote from the interview, I had a million of them, but if I had to choose just one, it's, if she gets it being who she is, then I guess who she is is what we need. And what I got from that is that you just don't compromise your core in order to please people in the workplace and just knowing that who you are is is enough and that you can excel and be excellent in corporate just by being who you are. And I think that's reassuring for a lot of us who struggle with imposter syndrome and just feeling like we need to conform in, cert in certain ways. As always, if you want to keep the conversation going, join us in our Facebook group, I Choose the Ladder, and also on social media. Until next time, thank you for listening.